Hello everyone, I'm Dr. Darsh Shah. And I'm Dr. Ultima Shraja. And welcome to Medicine Redefined. A podcast where we will explore the often overlooked but necessary components of health, what we consider to be the fundamentals. We will investigate topics and practices that can give you and your patients the best chance to optimize a healthy lifestyle. It's time to move the needle forward and put the health back in healthcare. Before we get to today's episode, I want to take this time to talk to you all about learning medical Spanish. Now, if you're a healthcare worker, you already know what an asset it can be to have Spanish in your toolbox. There's no need to call the glitchy translator line or pull out Google Translate on your phone or find that one colleague who is fluent. It makes for more comfortable and authentic encounters with your Spanish-speaking patients. Now, while I may be able to get by with just four years of Spanish in high school, I want to be able to truly connect with my Spanish-speaking patients to let them know that I am able to communicate in their natural tongue. Now, this is where my friends at Common Ground International come in. They have been teaching medical Spanish to healthcare students and healthcare professionals since 2003. Their mission is to impact communities through language. Now, twice a year, Common Ground International offers a free 10-day masterclass that helps you take a medical history and perform a physical exam in Spanish. Not only that, but you're going to walk away with a customized learning plan to improve your medical Spanish over the next six months. And that's not all. After you complete the Medical Spanish Masterclass with Common Ground, you'll earn four free CME Category 1 credits. They only offer this masterclass twice a year, and the next one is coming up very soon on Friday, August 26th. So make sure to mark your calendars. If improving your medical Spanish is one of your goals, and it doesn't matter if you're a beginner, intermediate like me, or advanced, you need to join Common Ground Medical Spanish Masterclass. You can get all the infos of dates and scheduling on their website at www.commongroundinternational.com forward slash masterclass. Hope to learn Spanish with you. Our guest today is Dr. Asari Christian, a board certified physical medicine and rehabilitation doc. He received his medical degree from the Medical College of Wisconsin in 2009, where he was awarded student of the year in physical medicine and rehabilitation. He then went on and did his internship at Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, and then furthered his training in physical medicine and rehab at Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in 2013. He is also a graduate of the Mongan Commonwealth Fund Fellowship at Harvard Medical School. He's also obtained a master's at Harvard in public health with a concentration in health policy and management. Dr. Christian's interest in the use of technology to create value for patients led to a recent completion of coursework in artificial intelligence and healthcare at MIT Sloan School of Management. Currently, Dr. Christian is the medical director and owner of Ether Medicine in Wayne, Pennsylvania, where he has advanced training in chronic pain management, spasticity, ultrasound guided injections, and medical cannabis. Previously, he was the outpatient medical director for Good Shepherd. He has academic appointment with the University of Pennsylvania in PM&R. And as you can tell by this very impressive bio, Dr. Christian is not a one-trick pony. He's definitely been around um, healthcare a good amount and has vast, diverse experiences. So in this episode, we're really going to break down Dr. Christian's approach to healthcare and to his patients. You know, often when we talk about holistic medicine, the first thing that comes to mind is this traditional approach of mind, body, soul, and how do we kind of put all of those together in terms of treatment plan. But Dr. Christian not only focuses on that, he also focuses on a holistic experience so that when the patient first enters his office to the last time they leave, 
there's going to be a solid experience. So Dr. Christian's approach is definitely unique. And I think, you know, not I think, I know you guys, whether you're a healthcare professional or a patient, will take something away from this episode. Without further delay, here is our conversation with Dr. Asari Christian. All right. Welcome back to another powerful episode of Medicine Redefined. We've got Dr. Asari Christian here uh, with us uh, across the screen. Um, and Alt, just so you know, the way the way me and Asari connected. So, you know, I was doing my PGY2 year in Hershey, just roaming the halls. Um, and Dr. Christian here is, is, is a locum, right? And this is like the first time we're getting locums here. Where I kind of have like an attending shortage, and uh, you know, we 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 start to talk, um, and he asked me what I'm interested in, and I start talking about like precision medicine, um, functional medicine, stuff like that, and he's like, "Oh, no way, me too," and so he tells me he he went to Hopkins, and I'm like, "Oh, I have a podcast, so do my co-host," and then this is like the best part, he gives me this business card, and when I tell you about a bougie <laughs> business card, dude, this your oh, sorry your business card is the best thing I've ever felt. Uh, it's actually still on my desk. <laughs> And uh, sometimes when this is here's the joke. Sometimes when we're like stressed, we're like, hey, hey, just just feel the business card. Wow. And, so, and so my co-residents will just feel it and we'll just it's, it's a really nice business card. So <laughs> but without further ado, uh, sorry, how how are you? Thank you so much for for joining us here on Medicine Redefined. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I am doing well and uh, excited to be here to contribute to what you're doing. I think what you're doing is amazing. So. Hey, I'm happy to be here to learn and contribute. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And again, so when, when we talked, you know, we kind of had a similar mindset. And when you started telling me that you were interested in pain management and, you know, really looking towards goal oriented, uh, coming out of the field of physiatry as Altamash and I, you know, are also in. Let's start back from the roots, though, right? I want to understand and give context to the audience why you chose the field PM&R. Kind of how did you decide about that? Um, and then going down the route uh, that you did. Yeah, so that's, I know that's a very interesting story for everyone. Uh, so for mine, it kind of, I had no idea what PMNR is up to, I think, my second year, third year of me medical school. And um, I had a grandmother who, I'm from Ghana, so my grandmother had a fall in Ghana and she was having all of these symptoms that were suggestive of uh, hydrocephalus or TBI. So she was having some balance issues some incontinence, some cognition issues. Um, and then when I was hearing about that, and I, you know, she's in the village, and I said, man, this sounds like she has hydrocephalus. And, and then I said, well, they should take her into the hospital and get a CT. And then it turns out to be the case. Uh, so she got diagnosed with a brain injury, got surgery, had a shunt put in place. And then following that, uh, there was no rehab. So now my aunties and my mom have to kind of take off work and really kind of take care of her. So uh, it became kind of like, Oh wow, you know, Ghana, Ghana has all of this trauma and all of this rehabilitation needs, and we don't have rehab in Ghana. So the plan was, all right, let me do something that I can eventually be able to contribute uh, that back home. So that's that's the journey of going into rehab, and it's just been a wonderful experience. Actually, I've done some work in Ghana while I was still in medical school, did some research there, and uh, set up a fellowship in PMNR because the whole of South Saharan Africa, I think only South Africa has a developed. PMNR program and there's so much trauma there. There's so much stroke. You know, some of these risk factors that we have here are becoming big over there. So uh, that's that's the journey, and it's been a great one. And I'm I'm so glad that I went to physiatry. Yes. So that's interesting, right? It, it, your inspiration kind of was looking at it from the brain injury pas uh, aspect and a personal story, and yeah. many of us kind of shared that. But what you do a lot of now is 
you know, I, I, I think your, your scope of practice from what we talked about offline, it's really wide, mm-hmm. right? But I think when, when people look at it at the surface, they think pain medicine, right? That's the bulk of what you do. And yeah. a lot of, you know, interns or really medical students, when they're asking me about PM&R, they want to know, okay, well, what are the different fellowships and what are the different mm-hmm. areas of PM&R that I could go into? And there's that somewhat of a hard delineation, right? So there's yeah. sports medicine, pain medicine, brain injury, stroke, pediatrics, those are and spinal cord injury. Those are like the big ones. Uh, but where did, where did you make that turn where you're shifting more towards pain medicine? I know you do a lot of post-stroke care and spasticity yeah. and stuff too, which goes hand in hand with this neurological rehab, but where did that turn come about? Yeah. So th- this kind of goes back to, um, you know, finishing residency at Hopkins. Uh, I don't know how many were in your class, but I had five and four of my uh, colleagues, everybody was going into pain. At that time, I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to deal with pain. I'm interested in just general physiatry. I like the neuro rehab stuff. So spinal cord injury, TBI, the very things you're talking about. Um, so then I, I decided to do a, a fellowship, um, fellowship and get an MPH. And through that process, and it was all to kind of learn about how do I, you know, understand systems? How do I learn how to uh, solve population uh, problems? Uh, and then I got there and I recognized that pain is one of those biggest uh, healthcare or biggest public health problem, right? So pain costs more than all the other disease states that we are talking about, it affects more people than all the other disease states that we talk about, including cardiovascular disease. Uh, so so when I, I started my, you know, I finished residency, came to do an attending gig and I was doing neuro rehab. So I started with spinal cord injury, uh, TBI, stroke. Uh, and then, you know, while doing rehab to optimize function in this patient population, the common theme was they all have pain, right? Everybody have pain. And even in this patient population, it was more, you know, central pain disease, which is more complicated to, to address. And then there's are people who on top of it have disabilities. So um, the limitation of what we can do for them uh, in terms of, uh, you know, medicines, we, can, we only have a few neuropathic agents or a few things that we can do for these people. So uh, my interest in that kind of just uh, peaked and uh, eventually I, I started doing, I be, kind of became the pain person because nobody was doing it. So. I became interested in how do I optimize pain or how do I treat pain to help patients be functional? Let's treat it so they don't get so sleepy so they can still participate in rehab and PT. So uh, from there, it became necessary to look beyond current paradigm of what I have. And uh, since then, I've educated myself and, and it's evolved to now focusing on pain. But the very thing that we're talking about is in this contest, let's get people healthy. I mean, it became like, okay, the goal is whatever we're doing, let's start from a place of getting people healthy because once people are healthy, everything else works better. Um, so that's kind of the trajectory and the journey. So you graduate and then at what point did you establish, is it ether medicine, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So when I, when I finished, uh, the fellowship, I, I moved to, uh, the Lehigh Valley and work at Good Shepherd Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh, so this is a, a independent rehab hospital and I was there for seven years. Um, so through, through that period of time, I did many things. Um, I'm also interested in program development. So I did some neurodynamic clinic. I did uh, um, ultrasound clinics, spasticity clinic. I built all this program. So, and then eventually I got to a place where, you know, pain became the main thing that I did and people who are back pain, surgery, chronic pain. And it just, um, it became limited what I could do for them. And, and I started recognizing incorporating some more education because part of the whole process was I came to recognize that people did not understand what pain is. And it was just this simple old idea of looking at pain. Uh, I have pain and, and it has to be a tissue damage. And therefore somebody have to give me, you know, something to block that signal, either medicine or injection or surgery. Of course, there is, there's places for those things, 
but we know when people have chronic pain, even though we have all these resources and we're doing all of this, and all these people are still in pain. So uh, there has to be a better way. And we already understood that. I mean, we all learned that in medical school that, you know, certain things uh, perpetuate uh, certain chemistry. Uh, so really, it became necessary for me to educate patients about, okay, let's let's talk about you've had this issue, but there's something that is perpetuating this state, this chronic pain. You've you've had a herniation. It shouldn't last for, you know, 15 years. A herniation should heal in about three, six months. So what is going on that's keeping this pain in place? And this is where we kind of kind of dive into a little bit of education and understanding that, hey, what you eat plays a role in your pain. How you move plays a role in your pain. What you're thinking about plays a role in your pain. And all of these things are things that we understand from the neuroscience of pain. So uh, just educating patients and empowering people, which is what we're all trying to do here, became necessary. So that's kind of how uh, that, that took off. And of course, there's multiple ways to to support patients with, you know, how to kind of get out of chronic pain. Yeah. You know, I- I really appreciate that you talked about how pain is arguably the most universal thing, right? I would say almost every single person at some point in their life is touched by that, right? There is an exceptional genetic variant who may not experience, but 99.99% of people are going to have some type of pain at some point, whether acute or chronic. And as you kind of suggested, it is a multi-sensory process. And so we do have to take a step back and really take a big picture approach, which is what you're talking about. So two follow-up questions for you is one, how did you come about the name of Ether Medicine? I, I find that to be very interesting, and, and I'm curious if there's a story behind it. And then, and then two, you kind of highlighted what you think is valuable, but really tell tell the audience a little bit about what your practice is like today and like what you offer. Yeah, so uh, the name Ether uh, has multiple meanings. Um, so um, basic English definition of ether means quintessential. So I wanted this to be a quintessential model of healthcare because we know healthcare is evolving. We wanted to play a part, you know, coming from the rehab side of, side of things. Um, ether also represent the fifth element. So this is medieval philosophy. Uh, we have the wind, the fire, and then ether was this, you know, space that everything flows in, all the heavenly bodies flows in. So they couldn't really quantify what ether is. And then, um, you know, in, in, in quantum physics, when we look at the observable universe, so I think it, I think it's 2019 or 2018, they discovered that the universe is expanding. This is the paper from Hopkins in Australia. And um, when we look at the observable universe, though, so we, the higher element, nitrogen, oxygen, carbon, uh, we make about 0.3%, right? And then the stars, the helium, the, this huge, massive things is about, uh, all, all of that is about 3%. And then there is this thing called the dark matter, which is all this the energy that holds the galaxies together. That's about 23%. And then there's this other force, which is like overwhelm all the galaxies, and that's the ether. So the ether is about 73% of the observable. So that's the energy. So if there is the energy, the universe is expanding, and what is making it expand is the ether. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of esoteric, but, you know, it was just kind of like, wow, okay, we want to aspire to something very big, and, and, and that's where ether comes from. Um, and it, it's something that kind of came to me just by reading some books and some other things like, whoa, I think this is what we want to be. Uh, in terms of my current practice and what it looks like, uh, it, you know, we focus on pain management rehabilitation. Uh, but how we are different is we focus on what the pain or impairments prevent individuals from doing, easing unnecessary suffering, unnecessary medications, unnecessary surgeries, unnecessary spending. You know, trying to be a guide for the patient while making the patient the healthiest person possible. So that's the simple approach to what we do. 
so the end goal for everything we do is let's make you healthy. And that's, that's where it starts because people come in and go, I've done everything. Nothing works for me. I've gone to physical therapy. I've gone to, I've taken medication. The gabapentin doesn't work anymore. Um, I, I've done surgery and I'm still in pain, right? They do all of that without changing any of their habits. You know, as we talk, they're still eating junk. Mm -hmm. They don't think that that plays a role in their pain. Uh, they're still stressed and doesn't know how to manage stress. And we know what that means for pain and the state of, you know, being in chronic inflammation. Uh, sleep, they're not sleeping well. Uh, they're not moving. Uh, so this kind of becomes an area of let's figure out how we optimize all of those things, making you healthy. When you're healthy, the pain will go down and educating patients about strategies and how to do that. Because we know it's not easy. I mean, if you're in chronic pain and you have to deal with pain when you wake up in the morning, uh, when you, everywhere you go, you're in pain, how, how are you going to move around? So uh, it takes a lot more than just, you know, say, take a pill. How do we give you that infrastructure in place? So that's kind of the approach and really getting people tools to, to make sure they can get to where they need to be. Absolutely. So, sorry, two things there. First is I'm a huge etymology geek okay. so <laughs> with an origin story. I absolutely love. So yeah. I, I just find that it's really cool to to hear how you kind of branded that with the name yes. um, and really trying to, you know, dig into a bigger purpose. Right. And I think I think that's just really cool. Um, and then the second thing, talking about pain. Right. So, you know, as you connect this to ether and connect it to, OK, there's this whole other world out there. Right. Yep. That we need to recognize with pain. Right. It's not just a physical sensation. It can also be mental, like you said, emotional um, can pop up at different times of the day. Right. There's this whole enigma behind it. Yeah. So out of all of those you know, different angles of where pain can originate from. When you have a patient that comes to you, you know, for that first visit, mm -hmm. how do you approach that? Do you, is it, you know, do you kind of hit it from all different angles at once or is there kind of a step-by-step -step approach that you take a patient through? Yeah, so I think, you know, just talking about kind of conventional medicine standpoint, uh, there's like kind of four frame works or four, four lenses that I kind of look through when I, I approach patient. And, you know, you have the, the rehab, side of things, which is, you know, looking at function. So we, we look at function, what's going on with function. Uh, we look at um, structural things. So this is connective tissue. So this is where the orthopedics, orthopedics falls into that place where, okay, is it a, is it a disc? Is it a, is it a, a meniscus? Is it whatever, what structure is going on? And then you have the, you know, rheumatology, inflammatory stuff, or maybe functional medicine, mm -hmm. where we are looking at inflammatory markers influencing pain. And then the fourth lens is the neuroscience which is, you know, the neuroscience of pain, what's going on in the pain, how pain is being processed and all of those things. So those are kind of like the four lenses that I, I kind of approach patient with. And then it becomes a function of trying to understand where the patient is, you know, what is the understanding of what's going on and where is the first place to start? Uh, so because, and I think part of this is also understanding that, you know, patients have to do the work to get well. And if they're not buying into the story you're telling them, how are you going to get them there? So it's very different. As you know, every patient is very different. So it's really kind of listening to people and trying to figure out what is the most important thing to them. So when people come in uh, and they, for example, you know, they have a herniation, they've had surgery and, and you know, everything is fixed and they're still having pain. Uh, so what, what we'll do is, okay, let's talk about, okay, the surgery, first of all, giving people education to understand that the surgery is fixed, you are safe. Because part of this is getting people to understand what happens in the neuroscience side of things, right? So structurally from an mm -hmm. orthopedic standpoint, well, yes, the surgery is fixed, the herniation is fixed, everything is good from that standpoint. Uh, so why are you still in pain? It's a function of the nervous system being either hyperactive, 
trying to be protective of you because you were in pain for so long, or even relating to some trauma, some predisposing trauma that people have had their whole life that has gotten the nervous system to kind of like just fall off because people will say, oh, you know, I've been fine the whole time. And then one time I just tried to go pick up a piece of paper and my back locked out and that was it. But they don't really connect that to the predisposing factors. All this trauma that we understand now can actually influence uh, your, your nervous system uh, activation and all of that stuff. So trying to kind of provide that education and then looking at the inflammatory level, what is going on? Are they eating something that may be playing a role? And it becomes just simple. I mean, all of this is a whole lot, but really kind of starting from a place of how do we just, for me, let's get your body to be in a state of homeostasis, a state that it can heal itself. So I talk about sleep. Are you sleeping? Oh, I'm not sleeping very well. Okay. And then I'll say, if we don't get you to sleep, you're not going to heal. And the whole idea is getting people to a place of understanding. We want to heal your pain. This is not about, you know, trying to solve a, a signal. And I can do that for them. So sometimes maybe people need trigger point or maybe people need some augmentation in medication. And what I do is I tell them this is just addressing the pain signal. Okay. And I would say maybe pain has, as we know, it has an emotional and, um, you know, a sensory component. I'm blocking the sensory component. But... What will keep that going is if you keep eating junk and you create all these inflammatory markers in your system. If you're not managing stress and stress predisposes you to chronic inflammation, that's going to make things keep going. So either sometimes, depending on where they are, we can say maybe see a psychologist or maybe people say, you know, I've done physical therapy and then things did not work. So I haven't done physical therapy in six months. Or sometimes I even see people who've had surgery and they were not sent to physical therapy. Uh, so they're not moving, they're compensating. There's all these secondary things that goes on. So it becomes really teasing out what is going on initially uh, and then providing education and then being a rehab person, it really kind of dialing on the function. Let's talk about what is it you want to do and then set some goals and then and make sure that uh, patients are hitting those goals with the you know, things that we have for them. And even, you know, when we talk about even, you know, some, sometimes patients don't want to take medicine because of some of the stigma and everything else. And I go, let's take the medicine so you can do the therapy or you can go for the walk, the functional things that you want to do. Let's treat and let's translate whatever interventions we're doing into function. And I think that becomes more relevant. And then depending on where people are, some people are kind of connected in different levels where they may even be interested in energy medicine. Uh, they may be interested in some other uh, alternative approach, which I'll, I'll bring up. I'll say, have you ever tried acupuncture? Have you ever tried chiropractic? Have you ever tried um, other things? Uh, and then trying to put all of it together and telling them that there is no one thing that's going to solve this. It has to be a combination of but fundamentally, if you can't do anything, let's let's look at what you put into your body. Let, let's let's talk about how you talk about your pain, the thoughts, the things that influence, and what type of traumas have happened in your life. Uh, let's make sure you're sleeping, uh, and then let's make sure you're moving. So, uh, I know there's a lot in there, but that basically just trying to tease out where they are, and then kind of take it from there. And there's more we do as we go along and, and go from there. You know, it is. But as we've talked about time and time again on this podcast how complex pain is and i think what you've just highlighted is an extremely thoughtful approach because that's that's what's necessary if you're truly trying to make a difference right because how yeah. challenging it can be um i really like what you talked uh when you talked about looking at it from a functional standpoint but also the the orthopedic or the medical standpoint yeah. i think when i was an intern here i remember doing a, a just an elective for pmnr and the person that I worked with, the, the advanced practitioner had told me that, you know, they like to make a functional diagnosis. 
And from that point, I really thought about every single patient that I see throughout my rehab career, there's a medical diagnosis to that and a functional diagnosis. So for instance, for those not familiar, like the medical diagnosis could be a, an MCA stroke, right? So that's the yeah. you know middle cerebral artery. And the deficits from that, from a functional perspective, could be right-sided weakness, which could difficult, you know, ambulation and that kind of stuff. So I think that that's a really, really important. Uh, and that's, again, it's cliche, but, you know, the, our specialty is really geared towards addressing somebody's function. So I think that that is super, super important especially when somebody comes to you and the goals of care, they're like, I want to be able to walk or I want to be able to throw this ball hundred miles an hour and I can't mm -hmm. because of whatever, right? They're, they're really focused on the function and the pain in which go hand in hand. And I think a lot of what you talked about, I think would to elucidate that process a little bit, maybe if we can use yeah. a somewhat of a challenging things. And to me, the more common yet challenging thing that I find that we treat is myofascial pain. Right. Another yeah. one that can be very challenging are things like migraines. Right. And so I'll let you pick which way you want to go. And and the reasons these I think are challenging is, as you mentioned, the structural issues are easy. Right. That biomechanical yeah. model that we had for a long time. You, you see the broken leg. That's easy. Right. Because you can Absolutely. you can wrap your mind around that. But things like myofascial pain where there's like, I don't know what to fix or migraines. I don't I don't see MRI looks fine. Right. Your X-ray looks fine. I, I don't know. I can't help you. So. Which one of those, whichever one, dealer's choice, uh, and if we could walk through like a challenging patient, uh, I yeah. think it, it might be helpful. Yeah, so I think I mean I think those, those two, uh, yeah, we, we can dive into that. But I, I would say you know let's start with myofascial pain, right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and then myofascial pain, you know, so musculoskeletal issue that likely we don't have any tissue damage to explain it, right? Maybe there's nothing, like you said, there's nothing that's going to show up on MRI. Uh, at the tissue level, uh, maybe there's something you can see with ultrasound. Uh, but really, uh, with that patient population, what, what becomes is really trying to tease out what is causing this, okay? So the cause of it, get into the root causes of it. Uh, and I think sometimes, even though our instruments are not able to measure certain things, we know there are root causes, certain things are going on. This physiology is so complex, right, at the cellular level. So um, somebody who has myofascial pain, and let, let's take somebody who have, you know, a classic example would be like a fibromyalgia patient, right? Uh, so this is a patient where, well, we understand maybe some of the pathophysiology, there's some psychological stress that's chronic in nature, activating sympathetic uh, system, and then with that, you have peripheral vasoconstriction, right? So the, the, the muscles are not getting enough blood flow. And then there is all of this pain that happens. And then centrally also, right? And because a lot of times this myofascial disease state becomes there is something happening at the periphery at the muscle level. And then there's something that's also happening centrally. So centrally, they've had upregulation of the pain signals and they've developed hyperalgesia, small touch causing a lot of pain. You know, and sometimes even allodynia, right? Something that shouldn't cause pain is causing a lot of pain. You push a little bit and they are inflamed and all of those things. And with those patient population, what tends to like perpetuate the central and the peripheral stuff is really, um, you know, looking at the pathophysiology. So if you have a state of sympathetic dominance where you're causing vasoconstriction, what helps with that is, you know, can we, can we get you to do an exercise that causes vasodilation? And that's kind of what we, you know, we'll say somebody have fibromyalgia, do exercise to help you opening the vessels up so you perfuse and you can do well. And then also kind of providing the, the central state mechanism. So is there some specific medicines that can help with the central state process? And more importantly, sleep, right? If these people are not sleeping, they're always going to be making more cortisol and that's going to keep pain going. 
that's going to keep everything hyper. Uh, and that's not good overall for, you know, health and cardiovascular and everything else. So uh, it becomes a lot of education on, okay, let's do something that helps with the periphery. Let's figure out what's going on centrally. And then let's give you the tools to get you there. So this is where also nutrition becomes an important thing because the, the nauseous stimuli, what is making everything going is this nauseous stimuli, anything your body is perceiving as stressful. So it's not just the stress, any nauseous stimuli will activate, you know, pain signals, right? So it's not just the stress or the cortisol. It's also the inflammatory markers that are being generated from whatever toxins we're getting exposed to, whatever things else we put into our system. Uh, so it becomes kind of broad education about what goes on in the periphery, what goes on uh, centrally, uh, and then giving people uh, the, the, the tools to get there. And even sometimes people may require, you know, seeing a psychologist because sometimes you may have all of those things uh, kind of figure out biochemically, you know, functionally, you can look at their markers. They don't have any markers of inflammation, but, you know, they've had some trauma in their life and their nervous system has become very hyperactive. Um, and they've also developed specific habits or behavior because of being in pain, right? And the thoughts that kind of influence all of that. I mean, pain all the time, this pain is not going away. And we understand even how a patient talks about their pain influence that pain state, right? Because your nervous system is always just kind of looking to make sense of things. So a lot of education and then providing the tools that are safely, but a lot of that becomes lifestyle modification. Let's get the body to have the, um, you know, the, the state it needs to be to be able to bring down all this um, activation. So this is why even, you know, I, I also think like having some practices that activate parasympathetic dominance, and this is kind of relaxation response, meditation, yoga, any of those things in combination with something that causes vasodilation at the periphery helps with some of these myofascial things that people got to move. So um, that, that's kind of my approach. But again, it's very individualized and, you know, who's coming in with that problem and, and what else could be playing a role there. It is, but it's also interesting how it often comes down to the basics, always, right? Yeah. Some sleep, nutrition, <laughs> stress management, uh, no matter what the pathology that you have in front of you. Um, you mentioned there may potentially be some changes on ultrasound. What might you see? So I, I don't do, you know, I don't use ultrasound diagnostically to diagnose um, um, myofascial disease, but I know there's some literature that shows that sometimes, you know, the myofascial component, you know, and this is specifically for um, like trigger points right. um, where people can see this bands uh, on imaging. Um, so that's kind of, that's the reference to that, but not, I don't use that as a diagnostic gotcha. tool in my, in my practice. Yeah. And then with respect to the inflammatory markers, are you looking at like ESR, CRP, anything else that you might consider? Yeah. So previously I did. So with, with this current practice, uh, since it, and it's like just a function of uh, my current structure, which is something I'm going to try to kind of set up a little bit more to kind of start looking at inflammatory markers. Um, so high, you know, uh, CRP, uh, sensitive ones, you want to get the sensitive ones, um, just the basics. Uh, to make sure nothing is going there. But a lot of times when people come in with, with, with what I'm doing now is we're able to tease some of this out with starting with, okay, let's change the diet and see what happens. Okay. So sometimes, like you said, it's very simple and basic. Um, and you, you can kind of figure some of this stuff, things out by just eliminating some stuff. Okay. Let's just stop eating sugar for a little bit. Let's back away from the dairy. Let's back away from the gluten. See how you do. Because I think sometimes patients get, um, 
and it also depends. It depends access. It depends where you are. Yes, getting these bio biomarkers are great when you've done everything, the simple things else, and nothing is um, has helped. Because sometimes I think we tend to kind of jump to all of those things, and we know that that, that okay, is it going to change the outcome? The outcome is okay. Stop eating junk. Okay, if you eat junk, if you stop eating junk, we can maybe make progress here. And then if you've done all of those things, and, and nothing is still helping, and I think this is where it helps to kind of get a little bit more into the biomarkers because sometimes, like you said, we, we can get a whole lot of stuff, especially toxins that you can, you know, you won't pick up with regular type, um, you know, CBCs or whatever we do, uh, that the functional medicine approach kind of gives you a lot more and that costs money and, and trying to kind of be cognizant of all of those things. So uh, that that is my approach with, with that. And I think once I have the infrastructure, then hopefully I'll be doing a lot more of those things if people have not responded to the basics. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, sorry, I think the key here is too, right? I think a lot of the audience might resonate with what you're talking about in terms of, oh, I might, I've got some like trap pain or I've got some knee pain, but a lot of people listening, and I, I know this from family too, is they're all trying to figure out what's that one thing that's causing it, right? A lot of people think there's that one cause and effect and it's a direct um, correlation. But what you're talking about here is that it's, it, it's not always that case, right? I mean, yeah. sure, as Altamash um, talked about, like if you have a fracture or something, right, and you, you, you can see that bone being broken, sure, that's it right there. It's a biomechanical process. But what you're saying here is that it can be inflammation, so let's focus on the diet. It could be a lack of sleep, so let's you know yeah. work on a sleep routine. It could be biomechanical as well, so let's start foam rolling, mobility, getting a good exercise. So what I love here is that, and I think this is a key takeaway, is that it's a multimodal approach. And I don't think a lot of people want to hear that because, oh man, yeah. is that going to take more work? And now I have to figure this out and that out. But in the end, right, I think the game here is not only looking at that pain, but your overall life and function. Absolutely. Right? And I think the key is that it comes back to the function. Yep. And I think it's 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 not, it's, it's more of a, I don't know how to word this, I guess like a synergistic thing, right? It's not that you're just fixing this myofascial pain, it's now that you're gonna have more better increased energy, you're gonna prevent disease a little yep. bit more, and it just, it keeps adding up into a better lifestyle. Absolutely. So that's kind of the key takeaway that I took from that. Yeah, yeah and even you know, going beyond like the four lenses that I looked through, I kind of tried for, and I think the other thing is, it's also important for, for us as clinicians, we have a way we understand things, and how do we communicate mm -hmm. to the patient Right, because some of this stuff will make sense to us, and then you know, the audience go, "Ah, oh, this doesn't jive." So what I, I kind of simplify this thing. I say uh, there is a predisposing factor that we have to think about. Something predisposes you to, to pain. Or you know, as much you talk about it, there's about twenty percent of the patients who have genetics predisposition to development of chronic pain. Right? It's genetic. It doesn't mean it has to be turned on. Something has to turn it on. So you have predisposing factors, perpetuating factors, and uh, there's another one predisposing, precipitating, right? So there is a precipitating mm. factor, which a lot of times patients are able to recognize that, oh yes, I twisted my ankle. This is what precipitated this pain. But the thing that is really important I hone in with patients is the perpetuating factors. What are the things that are perpetuating your pain? Okay, because we understand the physiology. Yes, yeah, something predisposes you to it. And let's even look at some of those things because people are sometimes they don't connect it. Why, why all of a sudden, you know, this thing just happened out of nowhere. But then when you get a good history of what's been going on in their life, their, their, their work has been super stressful. Uh, they recently went in, through a divorce. Uh, they recently lost somebody in their lives. And, and it's just quite fascinating that once I became aware of those concepts, that there is always something, you know, even though it's like, I don't know how this happened. Oh yeah, 
you, you just lost your daughter not too long ago and you know and they go my pain has increased it's so bad and they don't connect all of those things right and we understand the physiology yes there's mm -hmm. stress going on of course that's gonna put your nervous system up you're gonna be making some you know, um, uh, activating um, biochemicals and, and pushing things up. So really breaking things down to say there's these three things that goes on and you can focus on the things that's perpetuating the pain. And this is where some of this element of food, sleep, other things comes in. Yeah. I like the, the perpetuating thing. I, I think I'm going to, that's much yeah. more refined. I always use this crass example with my patients where I tell them, you know, when they're coming in and, and they, in the history, they'll highlight this perpetuating thing that's and they want me to inject X, Y, Z, right. To, to yeah. fix the issue. And, and I think about the, a quote from um, a strength and conditioning coach, Eric Cressy, who talked about like, if you're taking Tylenol to, uh, you know, alleviate your headache, but at the same time you're banging your head against the wall, um, you can take all the Tylenol in the world. Like that's not, yeah. gonna, you know, that the, the prop, the solution is to just stop banging your head against the wall. And Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> they seem to get it, but, but I, but I like what you said. <laughs> it's a bit uh, more sensitive and, and professional. Um, I'd like to, to, to shift a little bit more into the business of practice. You know, we often talk about how the business of medicine drives the practice of medicine, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, depending on your lens that as you look at what, like, what's your business model now? You're, are you a solo, you know, do you have yeah. ancillary support? Like what's that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a really important, um, concept to talk about, you know, talking about the business of medicine, uh, because we know how. Healthcare is finance, determine how healthcare is practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, yeah, you know, we spend a lot of money on healthcare, you know, mm -hmm. whatever 20%, whatever the GDP, I don't know what that is, I forgot, but it's a huge amount. And yet it doesn't translate to value. So uh, for me, getting into even this practice, eat the medicine, it was this idea of this value agenda we've been talking about for a while. You know, I remember being a resident, it's like, okay, value in healthcare, and how do we do it? How do we can I create this thing? So um, it became necessary that we have to focus on value. And even, you know, despite noble hospital mission statement and all of these things, the true value for patients never get done. And, you know, patients will say, I want to spend more time with a doctor. We'll ask them for their press gainy. They say that to us. They're still coming for five minutes, 10 minutes, we out, right? Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, they want to say, I don't want to wait on the phone for too long. And we still, you know, they will have to wait forever to get, of course, you know, I'm simplifying things, but really listening to patients and get into a place of what is important to patients. Because there's so many things we do in healthcare that are actually about the people in healthcare, not the person receiving healthcare. So how do we design it to be about the person needing healthcare? So, like I said, I was in a traditional practice, um, kind of following the same paradigm. Insurance tell us what we can get. Sometimes it's frustrating, even the very things that you need your patient needs. Um, but, you know, it, it won't pay for a patient to go see a psychologist because I see this people and I go, you know, I can't handle your stuff. So you, know, you need to go see a psychologist, a psychiatrist, somebody, right? And insurance will not pay for that. Um, you know, you need a nutritionist. Everybody need a nutritional dietitian, at least. If you're in chronic pain and you have obesity, you have other risk factors, Definitely, you got to see that, um, you know, some people need physical therapy and not physical therapy for, you know, four weeks beyond all of those things. So really, it becomes a bit restricted in terms of how the financing takes place in, in just insurance model. So with this practice, my goal is to how do I figure out how to create value? That's the whole overarching goal is I want to create value for patient. And I want to tell in some of these assumptions. OK, so uh, really. Uh, making it all about patients and giving patients options because 
The other stuff that also happens with, you know, being in a model where uh, insurance dictates what you do is, you know, insurance has to come to a place where the, it's just based on very old science, right? So even when we have specific evidence in medicine, as we know, that, okay, beta blocker helps with, you know, preventing, you know, cardiac vascular disease, whatever it is, even when the evidence is available, it would take 10, 15 years before that becomes a clinical practice, right? And even it would take another, whatever, 10 more years before everybody else start doing it. So we know that so, we are moving so fast in advancement, our understanding of, uh, you know, what's going on in our body. We have so many instruments and tools to really uh, push out a lot of data and a lot of information that can really save people's life. Yet, those are things that, you know, it's not, insurance is not paying for that because it's going to take another 20 years. So really, I think, you know, uh, having my practice kind of exposed me. And even as a clinician, it helps you to go learn different things because there's no incentive to when I was in the other uh, practice. I mean, I wasn't always interested in the dysfunctional medicine approach. I mean, I, I just learned about, okay, how the cell works. We all learn about that in, in, in medical school. And then you leave and you become an attendant. And then it just becomes, okay, this is what we pay for. That's what we do. Yeah, let's get you to this person um, because it, it, it's hard. Um, so I think my, with this new practice, what I've done is I do the traditional stuff and I also give patients options. It's like, hey, I think you're going to need more. You need to pay. It's worth it for you to go see a nutritionist, uh, educate yourself about a few things you can do, and guiding patients. You can also explore specific supplements that may be helpful for you. Uh, you can also explore some regenerative things that are not covered by the insurance. And this is all individualized and being a guide. And that's kind of where it is, um, you know, being, being a clinician and understanding how these principles work. This is going to work for this person. But what I tell my patient with all these new interventions and things that it can have access to is first, let's get you healthy. Okay. Because people will go pay, you know, 30,000 to get stem cells and they're still like, it didn't work out for me. Well, your, your physiology was not healthy, right? We have to make sure that you don't have still inflammatory markets running around and, and, and things that are going to disrupt that whole healing process. So it becomes a lot more um, educating people to say, this is the baseline. Get your body healthy. There's all this intelligence beyond what we can think about. You know, we're sitting here talking and it's just a bunch of cells doing all of these things that we don't even have to think about, right? So, so really getting people to believe like, yo, if you can get this physiology better, everything else works better. Um, so that's kind of the approach with what I have in educating patients, guiding people, uh, and then, you know, being able to give them options because, you know, if they can pay for peptides, if they can pay for uh, regenerative type uh, treatment and other anti-aging modalities, and that all of those things are to just really give your body what it needs to, to become healthy. Um, and, and that should be the goal for any of these interventions we do. So my practice allowed me to be able to get that. And I also hope that, um, you know, that's something I, I kind of wish, you know, I, I don't think, you know, private practice, some of the stuff is for everybody, but I just kind of wish that even if we are not in that, you know, even if we are still in the insurance space, hopefully we can start bringing some of these things that we learn in medical school, the basic biochemistry that we just forget. And, and that's what people, and it's just so basic, right? That we should be able to kind of, you know, bring those things back and educate our patients and empower them to do the work. Yeah. Man, there was so much awesome stuff said in there and you know a couple things that stand out to me i mean you talked about just being a guide for the patient right i think when i was naive i mean i'm still i'm an infant you know when it comes to my career right and so i'm just starting out in the real world if you will and um you know often I, you would learn all this stuff and you go through extensive amounts of schooling and training and residency and grueling hours and and you sit in front of this patient and you tell them hey look this is what the science says this is what i think you should do and 
I, I, I've turned the, the page on that. And really it's about, hey, here are the options. And my job is to present them to you. And it's your job to pick them off the menu. If you ask for my suggestions, I'm, I'm happy to guide you. And, and I found that approach to be much more helpful, right? Because it empowers the patients yes. and it's shared decision-making, which I think is a, is a key phrase that we often talk about. And then what you talked about in terms of the patient's physiology is not right for it. So, so a classic example comes to mind, right? I mean, we often talk about, um, you know, osteoarthritis, right? Knee osteoarthritis yeah. is one of the leading causes of disability worldwide at this mm-hmm. point. And so we know that it can be a load bearing problem, right? So if it's like, for instance, rarely any surgeon will do a, a total knee replacement, no matter how debilitating an end stage arthritis it is, you know, unless the BMI is less than 40, those are typically yeah. the hard cutoffs for people. Yeah. And so if a, if a patient has a BMI of 55 to 60, you could do the best PRP in the world, right? <laughs> that it, it, it's not going to be a good environment, right? You need to address the other issues that you, you, you talked about. And so I really love that, that, that you highlight that. Cause I think it's, it's so important. Uh, I think it's worth asking is how do you generate like referrals? Like, you know, how do people even walk yeah. into your door? Yeah. So <laughs> that's a great question. I think, you know, if, if, if you have, if you have if you have something that's very special, which I think we do have at Ethan Medicine, and people doesn't know about what you do, and you know, so this whole idea of marketing and getting people to know what you have to offer is so important. Uh, so uh, this is a new uh, territory for me to understand marketing, because <laughs> none of us, you know, so you didn't that, you, you have an MBA, yes, you didn't learn that in medical school, right? And then I think the other thing that's also even coming from that side of things is like in medical school, and maybe now it's changing because I think we have so much information now. I mean, I'm a little older than you guys, but, um, you know, I think medicine tends to kind of infantilize us and you just have to go through this lens. I mean, this is how you see the word. It's just, just, you know, quadrant of, yeah, it has to fit in here. It has to be the evidence. It has to be there. So, you know, and that's very different from being trying to be an entrepreneur or trying to be somebody who's going to do things for yourself. You know, those people have to kind of use their instinct and they have to kind of search from different industries to solve problems. Uh, so part of this is really understanding marketing. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think I'm doing I'm doing OK. I'm, I'm struggling with that marketing side of things, even trying to do like Instagram initially was just like, oh, gosh, do I have to sit in front and talk, you know? So, uh, but all of those things are uh, things that you have to do to kind of get out there. So you have to get your message out. And I think it has to be like very clear. It's all about messaging. Uh, it, it's about, you know, understanding your audience um, and, and really just repetition, 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 repetition. So for me right now, what I've been doing is I've kind of looked at, you know, providers that I can connect with. So I'm talking to some physicians who can potentially send patients to me, uh, physical therapists, chiropractors, psychologists. And these are all people that are also, so I'm building this ecosystem of clinicians because as we talk about, we know pain is so complex. So I don't want to take on this responsibility of trying to be, you know, I can solve it all for you. Um, It helps to say, you know what? I think, you know, and then we also know, you know, when patient comes to us, you know, being a clinician, sometimes, you know, like, yeah, you know, I can help you. My stuff is going to be limited. You you really need to go talk to somebody about this thing that's happened to you and it's still there and you haven't resolved it. Uh, so having that relationship kind of both ways uh, helps patient come to you and then, you know, you can also give patient to them. But I think um, what I'm recognizing and learning is really going in with this approach of I want to create value. So that whole value thing, not just for your patient, to your referral source. You don't want to go take, it's kind of like give, give, take. So really getting out, learning some principles in business, uh, learning some principle in marketing, 
uh, learning leadership, all of these things. And actually, that's part of why I even went into this field. It was kind of like, okay, I wanna, I wanna create value. So that was a one, a few things. I wanted to really, you know, do something about the value agenda. I wanted to change the persona of what the patient and the physician is, because there is a persona of a physician and a persona of a patient, especially when it comes to pain. The doctor do to me, no, okay, he um, had to change. It's this paternalistic approach that doesn't work when it comes to your own health or when it comes to pain, especially, right? So you are the subject of experiencing pain and you have to take an active role. And then the other side of it is really uh, also trying to kind of grow, a personal growth process because um, you know, I was comfortable getting my paycheck and getting bonuses and being a medical director. It's easy. Now I have to go. <laughs> I have to go figure out what EMR to use and who to talk to and how to pay my staff and all of those things. So there's a lot of growth in there. But I think I've taken a long way to answer your question. But uh, the idea is that you know, it, it, it's the solutions are there, and and we I think we are we are in a better time than before where there's so much access to different technologies, there's all these exponential things going on. Uh, so I think once you put yourself out there and you stay consistent and connect, uh, it will come. I'm not where I need to, I want to be yet in terms of the patients that I'm seeing per day, uh, but gradually making progress. So that that's what it takes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, go ahead, Altamash. No, I, I really love uh, what you talked about. It's like, you know, doing the hard work, uh, things that we haven't been trained for, right? The easy thing yeah. would be, hey, listen, I've, I was just reflecting after graduating fellowship. It's like, man, this has been a nine-year journey, right? I, I've been trained to do something and I can go out in the world and it's just plug and play, right? I can just lean back on my knowledge. But now, you know, we, a recent guest came on, Brian Suter talked about how when he started his uh, his YouTube channel, you know, now he's got close to 600,000 followers. So he's built this amazing thing. But when he first started it, he had to, it took him like six hours to, to, to do a five-minute yeah. YouTube video. And, you know, now it's just click, 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 click. And the easy thing at that time probably would have been like, man, this is why would I start this all over again? People go to film school for this. Why would I do this? And a lot of what you're saying, I, I, I think, speaks to that as well is you got to step out. You got to set the message. You yep. got to make the message clear, you know, and it's funny because, um, you know, Darsh does a pretty decent job at, at social media, much better than than I do. And then I remember yeah, his like, content and his videos. Yeah, it's great. You know, I, I, I and, you know, full disclosure, I'm not very comfortable like putting my stuff up or taking a, a clip of me and putting on Instagram or tweeting or whatnot. And I remember calling him and I was like, man, how do, how do you do this? How do I do this? How do I get better? And, <laughs> you know, he had some some uh, profound insight that if he wants to share that he can. But, uh, but I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. So I was going to say, like, I'm sorry, everything, your explanation was great, right? Because I think it, it hones in on this new concept of medicine that we, we're, we're starting to call precision and performance medicine, right? So you talk about how it's, we're, we're no longer treating the masses. You want to change the yes. relationship between provider and patient, yep. right? So it's more precise. We get to actually look at the certain lab values that we need to, and then we can actually modify a certain diet, right? I mean, you look at a diabetic diet in, in, in the hospital, it's just pancakes oh, and syrup, you yeah. know, and you oh, talk about carb oh. control and you're like, all right, what are we doing? Right. Um, and then you're also talking about the, the performance aspects, right? Of that too, which is when I talk about performance, a lot of people think about just physical, but Performance is kind of, you know, we talk about on a daily basis, it's also cognitive, yep. how you're thinking, how you're performing at work, emotionally, self-awareness, all these things, right? And I think all of that encompasses um, 
the the greater portion of when we talk about health itself. Uh, one thing you forgot to mention is having awesome business cards. Oh yes, um. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, yeah. Thank you. And, and it's also you know you have to be your authentic self. And I, for me, I believe I believe right. in like let's make things look nice. I mean, I go to a hospital, and I, I mean, you know, I just I was just in a hospital today to go get credential to be part of like a, a medical stuff, and I got in there and the smell. I was like, come on, man. And you know, I haven't been in that environment, and I was like, oh man, you know, and. So part of the whole mind design and approach is I want to use the environment to change people's behavior because what mm. I've come to recognize as part of doing this work is your health is a lagging indicator of your habits. Okay. Mm-hmm. So your health is a lagging indicator of your habits, your thoughts, the actions you take, the actions you don't take. Of course, we know genetic plays a role, but even that epigenetics, what turns it on it's a function of either your thoughts, your trauma, whatever thing that's going on. So really what I recognize is like I'm in a business. And I think hopefully this is something that maybe, you know, providers will start looking at. We are in a habit of behavior change. That's why it's hard, right? Because even us here, yeah. you know, we know about health. How many of us consistently do the things that we know are supposed to give us, you know, right? Because there's all this programming yeah. and, and how complex we are as, as a being. So I think really uh, get into a place of so where do I go find information to really help people change habits? And that's what I talk about strategy. And I think that's what's different about what I do at Ethan Medicine than you know, maybe other conventional pain medicines where it's like, okay, people come in, we all wanna change, you know, people are paradoxical. I wanna be healthy, yet yeah, no, I'm not gonna do the exercise. And we all been there, right? So having right. the compassion to understand mm-hmm. that this human experience is hard to do. And how do you give people some science of there is ways to change habits how do you stack something on top of something some of the very things that you talk about on your youtube mm-hmm. and giving people skills in terms of you know personal development because when you're better mm-hmm. it's easy to kind of get to all of those things right mm-hmm. so it's taking care of all yeah. of those things that allows you to have a purpose all of these things that are connected so it's not just one thing about you know let, let's solve this this pain signal so what i did going back to the card question uh, or how i designed it that way was i wanted to use that environment <laughs> to change people's behavior. And the idea is that the environment mm. is an invisible hand of behavior change, right? Because yeah. people know what they're supposed to do, they don't do it. So when you come into my office, it's been designed with that intention. And the whole idea is to create value. So when you come, I have four rooms, yeah. and the first room is like meditation, it's just numbered. Number one, meditation. Number two, exercise. Number three, nutrition. Room four is sleep. And they're just big signs on the doors, okay? And then we have a lot of plants, it's biophilic, it smells good, everybody's quiet, we have some nice sounds to kind of, you know, and, and, it, and that's the whole idea. I was like, this is a place of healing. We have to be able to create that for mm. people. So even when people walk into my office, it changes how they feel, right? And I have this room, the sleep room, and it's already set up in with specific smell, specific uh, atmosphere that it brings down the sympathetic tone. So somebody comes in, they have a migraine, they go sit there, the light is dim, in a few minutes, they start feeling better even before we do the Botox injection. So really using the environment to change behavior, being intentional. Why shouldn't the card feel good? And that's what I tell people. I want you to touch this card and you're going you're gonna to start, we're going to start the healing process. Yes, you know, so, and whatever you take, right. you know, just really trying to make it a, a better experience. And that's just been the operating system of what we have is experience. Because w- what's happening is we've had this evolution of, you know, industrial revolution, industrial stuff, information, right? That's mm-hmm. where we are now, Internet of all things. Now we get into yeah. experience revolution. People want to feel stuff, 3D. Mm-hmm. So how do we start yeah. kind of 
bringing some of those things into health to really get people to change behavior, right? Because when you create the experience, like it creates emotion. Emotion crystallized memory. Emotions helps us to learn. So how do we kind of plug all of that into to get people there? So that's what we're trying to do. That's hands the card. That feels so good. No, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's that's so amazing. Sorry, you know, I I ponder this question quite a bit actually, and and I often ask, uh, you know, the previous guests and anybody who comes on is like, how do we really implement behavior change? Because I do agree. I mean, I, I think a lot of what we do really comes down to that, and. I remember asking one of our previous guests, um, shout out to E.C. Sinkowski, is, you know, having the difficult conversations with people, getting them to change. How do you get people to change? And a lot of, you know, people who are wiser than me have been doing this is that you really can't. You know, people have to be willing to do them themselves and then you can guide them, as you talked about earlier. But nobody's ever talked about this aspect of the environment that you suggested, right? really approaching to all other senses except the auditory where we're talking and telling them right so yep. talking about um, uh, you know the touch smell you know the the visual signals that they're coming in walking into the office i will ask though because i'd be remiss not to is yeah. once they've done that because i think that eliminates the barrier to entry right so once they've walked into your office now they're sitting across from you and you're sitting you know they're in the exam table or wherever they might be sitting and um I think you need to kind of seal the deal, right? You need to yes. deliver the punchline, put the message in. What tactical things could you share with me and, and Darsh with us to, to kind of really hone in that message? Hey, like this is really important that we could do this stuff. You could get the massage, you could do meditation, but this is going to be six months of work. That's a long yep. time, right? Are there anything that you found to be valuable in the last decade or so they've been practicing? So that's a great question. And it, it, it definitely hits the point you're trying to make of setting expectations. And I think that's what we do, uh, you know, uh, as clinicians. And sometimes we spend some time on it. Sometimes we don't really set an expectation for people to say, this is going to take work. This is going to take some time. But part of that is also it's the very thing that we start is getting people to trust. OK, so first of all, um, you know, patients have been to different places. They've had all this experience, especially if it's chronic pain or chronic disease state where, you know, they've been to different places and they've had different experiences that has internalized and you know, they have pre pre assumptions and all of these things. So even, you know, people come to my office and they go, you know, I've seen everybody. What are you going to do for me? You know, that's the first thing they tell me. Like, you know, they look at me, oh, you're young. And, you know, I've been to Mayo Clinic. I just came back from Penn and, you know, I have this practice. And they go, you know, what are, what are you going to do for me? Mayo told me they can't do anything for me. Nothing to, you know, I'm not saying that against any institution. But the idea is really, you know, just connecting with her, looking at where she is, and then trying to figure out, how are we going to get you to the next level? Because that's what people want to know. How is this going to change? How is my pain going to get better? And then we go, okay, um, let's start with, you know, and the patient already know. They will tell you. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm overweight. I don't feel good about myself. This is stressing me out. I feel like I'm going to end up in a nursing home. All of these things. So they're kind of putting all these complaints out there. And what I do is I latch on to those complaints. Okay? Let's do something about that. I'm not even going to talk about, you know, your your scoliosis or your post-fusion syndrome. Okay, this is the things that's important to you. Kind of latching on to what's important to them and then kind of flipping it around to say, this is what's important to you. You're going to work about that, right? You want to change that. You're complaining that, you know, you're overweight. What are we going to do about that? So there is this self-awakening process that I try to get patients to go through themselves and then kind of link it mm -hmm. to an expectation. They're going to wake up and say, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I can do something about this you know, wait, and it requires me taking some action. And then going beyond that to hold them accountable. 
because that's that's what we also have to do because it's not easy and i think all of us want to have a guide if somebody you know i'm doing a business and and i wish i had somebody who's telling me i'm sorry hey man go do this marketing thing go talk to this person i want that and that comes about when you can trust a person telling you that okay so first is really trying to build some type of trust uh, as a clinician for your patient setting expectations and saying that this is going to take some time some things may work some things may not work and kind of kind of putting all of that out there we don't have to kind of like sugarcoat anything yes okay you eat all of this stuff okay let's start with one so i just recently talked to a patient you know she's the very thing you're talking about high bmi she can't get surgery she can't move she has knee pain and she loves her chocolate and her soda and thing that she did she does okay let's start with one let's let's give up the let's give up the soda and gradually go from there and i say you know it's going to take some time because this pain signal is not going to go away until we address all of those things so expectation getting people to wake up to a place of i have a role in this and this is ultimately my responsibility and making that clear i mean i'm just going to guide you and you have to do the work so i don't know if i answered the question but i kind of went all over the place but um, really expectation and, and, and getting people to know that it's going to take some work, it's going to take time, and then being there to support and uh, help them with that journey. No, you, you did. But uh, I do want to ask, though, so in terms of for that specific patient, right, so a lot mm -hmm. of the seems like the, the first step that you wanted to approach it from a nutritional aspect. So is that something that you're referring out or are you addressing that yourself? Yeah, so I will, yes, I send this patient to, to see a nutritionist. I also connected her with a psychologist. And all of this has been great. This lady has lost 25 pounds. This is somebody in her 70s. She was so deflated because, you know, she was hoping that uh, she's going to go to Mayo and get, get surgery. But, she, you know, and I think that's some, even sometimes it's just this expectation that patients have, right? She's not a surgical candidate. It's not like Mayo didn't do their work, but that's not the solution for her problem, mm -hmm. right? You've had this scoliosis. You've had spinal surgery. You're still having pain. You're obese, you're stressed out, you're, you're housed, you think you're going to end up in a nursing home and you kind of like that's been going on perpetuating all of these things. Uh, and then personality type, right? And, and eating junk because I'm stressed and all of those things. So it started with getting her to see a nutritionist, uh, getting her to see a psychologist, and then getting her to see a physical therapist and then helping with that. And I kind of help with some other of the sensory stuff. We started some topical creams, some other pain medications to kind of put all of that together. And then sometimes for individuals, certain individuals who don't have that specific need, it becomes, okay, let's just do a simple experiment. How do you feel when you eat certain food? You know, people, people don't listen, you know, this embodiment. People don't even listen to your body anymore. And your body will tell you. You will know exactly. A lot of times we eat and we just feel, we don't feel good. We just kind of take it as part of how we're supposed to feel. But if you have a disease state, you have pain, I will tell you. I'll say, how do you feel when you, when you ate that ice cream? How do you feel when you have this specific, especially individuals that have like even migraine, right? They go, I don't know what's triggering this. And I say, go back and look in the last 48 hours. What have you eaten that will cause this? So depending on where people are, I can just say, do an elimination diet, uh, you know, do an anti-inflammatory, you know, something simple. And then if they are somebody who needs a lot more, then this is where we go. Let's have you go see a nutritionist. Uh, so it, it tends to be an individual thing and kind of see where people are in terms of capacity resources. Um, and I think this is where, you know, the art of medicine comes in and seeing where people are and what they are having access to, right? Because we can make all of these recommendations. We think everybody needs to eat right. Everybody needs to do exercise. Well, if they don't have access to that, you know, how, how do you get that to happen? So, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, you know, speaking of the art of medicine, so I kind of want to bring this full circle to a couple points back when we're talking about marketing and kind of accountability and building that relationship, right? So one of the things you hit on there was accountability. And I think even us as physicians, right, we, we would all love to have coaches, yes. right? Not ones that make us feel like shit, but at least coaches that could hold us accountable, right? And I think we subconsciously have that desire, all of us do. Um, and so when Altamash asked, like, hey, how do I feel comfortable um, going onto Instagram and things and making these videos, like, that was actually my initial um, reason for making these videos was, hey, I want to personally develop. So this is a good way for me if I got to practice what I preach, right? Like, I actually have to go out there. And then it also relates to yeah. being your authentic self, right? And I think when, when you're putting out all these senses and you're trying to reel these patients in, you're doing yeah. it authentically, right? You're, you're doing it by creating value. You're not doing it with the purpose of, oh, yeah. I want money or this is where I'm going to get a referral out of this or this. It's let me actually focus it on you, right? And Ultimash and I talk about this like that motivational yeah. interviewing, right? And, and making sure that the patient can hear because when they go to Mayo, when they go to Penn or any other institution, a lot of times they're just going to feel like they're yes. one of many right getting treated and they're going to hear the common kind of diagnoses and symptoms and medical talk but at least when they come to you they know that hey although i've seen these reputable institutions i'm coming to somebody here who is not playing yeah. a zero-sum game he's also okay with referring me to a psychologist with referring me to a nutritionist so he knows his yeah, lane absolutely quote unquote, but it's also okay with shouting other people out and building a community, right? And so when I look at all this, I'm like, man, this is exactly how I think about social media. This is exactly how I think about marketing and kind of building, you know, a brand, a community, but also trying to create value altogether. Um, so it was just funny as you're saying this, because I'm like, man, this is exactly kind of yeah. how it's related. Um, so let me ask you this, right? Because I think a lot of people in our generation are not only trying to build a brand and you know get big on social media etc but also trying to get more into precision performance medicine functional medicine and not necessarily yeah. in the rat race what advice do you have for them you know whether it's courses books or just next steps um you know through medical school residency yeah so i think um that that's an important question um and also it's also important because we we, we understand like the traditional medicine has a role in what it does um, and it has, you know, every system is designed to get what is the result it gets, right? It's designed to work a certain way. Um, and people need more than that. So, you know, people that are in pain need more than just surgery. Yes, we can do surgery, but there is a lot more that goes into it. So I think um, if you're coming back from the traditional medicine approach, it's really fundamental to understand the science, okay? So... It, it makes a huge difference to understand what goes on in the body at the basic level because that's kind of the basis of it. And we all know that. And then at some point, we kind of lost it. And then connecting the system, just knowing that, you know, and I, and I like this podcast you guys did and talking about it's not just one system, not just the cardiovascular system. Okay, all of that plays a role. So the cardiovascular system, the endocrine, the musculoskeletal, and looking at people from that perspective that are, even if you're cardiac, even if you're like an orthopedic surgeon, I will, I will hope that since we all learn this in medical school, you should be talking to your patient about nutrition and talking about sleep and talking about stress management. These are very simple things that we can all do, okay? So I think the fundamentals, and I think this is why like functional medicine, you know, like learning about us, like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The root cause, what's causing this problem and how do we, you know, get people to change that? So getting the fundamentals is very important. Integrating medicine, right? Integrative medicine. Before you get there, you have to understand the conventional stuff. Okay, so I think really um, knowing the background and getting this objective 
way of looking at things is very important. It's not the only way to look at things, right? So yes, we have the scientific method that kind of guides us to this is how you kind of do things. And it's all a function of making sure people are safe. So that is very important because there's alternative approaches. And then sometimes those things can not be as, as, as healthy. And even going beyond that, we have to get to a place of third person objective truth. So making sure that whatever intervention, whatever things that we bring into patients, it's going to make sense to them, right? You can do your own individual introspective. Everybody's different. Uh, so I think really understanding what goes on um, in, in, in how the body works is a good place to start. So then you can kind of challenge the assumptions. You can look at a supplement and go, okay, this one may work. And you can go say, you know what? I don't know if this is the right thing for this right patient because even though it's been promoted, right? We have all of these options that are out there and it, all of that is to help. But how do you figure out what is the right thing for your patient, the right time, right? Because something yeah. that may even work for you today may not be the appropriate thing for you tomorrow. And that's what patients will go, oh, yeah, it was working and it doesn't work anymore. Yes, your physiology has changed. You're living in a different environment. Your house has molds now. Something else is going on. So really getting to a place of having this wisdom, listening to what's going on. And I would even say, I think I'm all over the place. But listening to people because your patient is going to teach you. I mean, I got into this space by a patient who took like tyrosine. There's somebody else treating for pain. I just give him opioids, opioid. And then he go, I took tyrosine one and he didn't show up for a while. And I was like, he came back and he has found like a functional medicine doctor or somebody who just put on some supplements. And the guy is like, I don't need my opioids anymore. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. Um, <laughs> so really listening to your patients uh, helps continue to educate yourself start to think about it. Does this make sense? Okay, I understand the biology and the chemistry. Does this thing make sense? Instead of just like, let's just throw this at this person. And that's what we do. I think we kind of lost some of those critical thinking as we come along because it becomes a problem. These are the solutions that are there for you. But there is more to that. Once you step outside of, you know, what I'm getting, you know, what insurance pays for. So listening to your people, uh, having a critical mindset uh, helps with, get into a place where you can really serve your patients truly. And it's about also getting to that place of that higher purpose. What are we here? What are we doing? And always reminding that we're in a place to serve. And that has to be always fundamental. That, sorry, that is exceptionally said. And I don't have much more to add to that, but I, you know, I do have a couple of follow-up questions. Before I do that though, I just wanna, for full disclosure, I wanna be very clear. I know we mentioned a couple of institutions on here and I know somebody's going to hear it and, and I've got friends at both those institutions. They're, they're spectacular. That's, that's not the purpose. Yeah. What we're getting at is, you know, when you're working a part of a big system, there are some limitations yeah. and often um, you have to practice within those confines. And, and so, you know, insert whatever institution you're at. And of course, I also uh, want to say that this has nothing to like, uh, you know, against it, this is systems and I don't put any judgment exactly. on things like that. It was just kind of like explaining the, yeah. the concept of, Yes, this for patients even going with this expectation that my problem should be fixed yes. by Mayo. Well, your problem right. is not, you know, there's other solutions. So it has nothing to do, right. and I have a lot of respect for all of those institutions. And yeah, so it has nothing Absolutely. to against that. It was just yeah. telling the patient story. I, I think the audience uh, <laughs> of this show understand that, but I, I think in today's day and age, it's worth being Absolutely. Thank you about for the that. message yes. as you suggested. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as we come to a close here, you know, I, I do want to ask you, with respect to pain management, we talked a lot about that, you know, but really it could be anything in medicine. You know, what are you excited about in the future? And then what's next for you? Yeah, so I, I'm excited about um, all these regenerative things that are coming up, up 
uh, precision medicine, understanding the genome, we can map it out now and, you know, we can get very specific uh, at the cellular level and modulate some things and get people healthy. So I think that's very exciting. Uh, beyond that, there's other exponential things going on, technology, so we can monitor things and we can, you know, get people to change behavior. Some of these like uh, uh, glucose monitoring systems, all these like digital therapeutics that are helping people change behavior, which is kind of what we're doing. Um, so I think that's very, very exciting to be able to have those options uh, that somebody can get a medicine that works exactly for them. It doesn't have the side effect because we understand what's going on. So precision medicine is great. Um, but beyond that, I also think that even when we get to this place of being able to modulate um, biology and, and get people to be all of those things, I think we, we still have to remember that, yeah, we are, this, we are still complex. You know, there's this, this mind, body, spirit, whatever thing that's out there that, you know, changing, yes, changing the biology alone, we have to still get people <laughs> to be grounded, right? Because, you know, the, the, it, we are just so complex that I, I, I kind of feel like, you know, medicine, we going into medicine, having all these tools shouldn't be like, oh yeah, now we can just give you that and your life is gonna get better. People still will kind of have other things that goes on and being able to look at a place of how do we heal people with the tools, it's exciting. Yes, we can do that. Uh, what's next? Um, I'm looking to learn more about how I can help my patient finding different ways, collaborating with other people. Um, you know, I've become very interested in peptide medicine recently. Uh, and it's been great uh, to be able to have that option for patients and uh, continue to provide um, education. The, I think the most important thing is educating people about the options. They're there uh, and help people to get to where they need to be. Awesome, very cool. Well, sorry, I know you are currently sandwiched in between Hershey, where I am, and South Jersey. Yeah. You're in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Um, so where can people you know, set up an appointment with you uh, if they want to come see you? And then I know you also have educational videos on your website. So yeah, so as well. my practice is in Wayne, uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, the name of my practice is Ethan Medicine. Um, and if people want to find out about um, you know, how to connect with us, they can go to our website at ethermedicine.com. Ether is spelled A-E-T-H-E-R, medicine. Uh, they can also give us a call 484-806-1101. I almost forgot my own number. So 484-806-1101. And what I do is I, you know, I'm happy to talk to individuals, uh, kind of give them a free consultation to see uh, if I would be a good fit. And then something that I, I do is, you know, part of this relationship building is like knowing where to send patients because the whole idea is it's very deflating, uh, deflating for patients when they go to a place and they go, there's nothing else I can do for you, right? So. Yeah, so that's that's the that's kind of like the narrative is like, oh well, you know, there's nothing else we can. Well, yeah, maybe you're not a candidate for surgery, but yeah, maybe you should go see a nutritionist. So what I like to do is being able to have a place of being able to say your next step is yes, maybe you need to go see a surgeon because sometimes patient will also have disease states where like you need the surgery. You know, you shouldn't kind of hang on to this and wait. Uh, so really guiding people, and I think that's what it comes to and say, yes, maybe you need to go to Penn and you need to go to this, or maybe you gotta go Mayo, right, for this procedure. <laughs> so guiding people to the, to the right place is, is, is all, all part of you know, what we do to help patients that eat the medicine. 
Awesome. Well, sorry, before I ask you the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. I mean, it's been a pleasure uh, meeting you. And I believe, you know, every interaction I have is, is for a reason. And so it's been um, awesome having you on here, keeping it authentic, yes. keeping it real, uh, fun, <laughs> fashionable. Guys, if, if you want to see a stylish, if you want to see a stylish doctor, I would Google image. Uh, sorry and see those dapper suits uh. he wears. Uh, so <laughs> so I, do, I do want to say thank you uh, for coming on. Um, and then the last question we ask everyone, and I, we kind of touched on this yeah. the entire episode, but if you just want to have like a short little segment here is, how do we put the health yeah, back so in I healthcare? I love that, that you guys have that as the kind of the, the theme of what you do here. Um, and, and I think, you know, maybe other people have spoken to this, but it starts with the, the people that are in healthcare, okay? So we can put health back into healthcare if the people leading healthcare are healthy. Okay, so it has to start with us. That, you know, first do no harm, first heal thyself. Okay, so we, we got we to gotta heal ourselves yeah. before we can do no harm. So I think that's something that we have to really stress in. And I will also love for all the clinicians and, and res medical students to kind of like, let's make health our goal. Let's really do that. And if we can do that, it's easy for our patients to, to, to follow. And you can, you can talk the talk, you can walk the walk, and we have to do that. And we do so much and we give so much uh, in doing it. it. It's hard to do it because there's all this different players in the game you know you have the hospitals the payers everybody's trying to game it but we go into this to help people and to put health in there so let's take care of ourselves and i think uh, it will translate to bringing health back into the system yeah absolutely yeah. 100%. and thank you guys so much thank for having you. me uh, this has been great uh, <laughs> um, and i look forward to you know talking again some other time if it's necessary and we can we can get into some other things as well yeah Oh, definitely. Wonderful. Yep. Thanks. Sorry. Yes, cool. thank you. Appreciate thank it. All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Medicine Redefined. If you took one or two things away from this episode, then please go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review and let us know what you learned. And if there's things that you're hoping to learn or you want to learn, please tell us. Tell us on social media through Instagram or TikTok or Twitter. You can always email us at medredefined at gmail.com. But we are hoping to make this an awesome experience for all you listeners out there. So thank you again um, for tuning in. As always, the medical disclaimer, everything in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine and we are not providing medical advice. No physician-patient relationship is formed and anything discussed in this podcast does not represent the views of our employers. We recommend that you seek the guidance of your personal physician regarding any specific health-related issues. Appreciate you all.